You know, I, I find that question to be something vitally important. You know, they ask, will this be your first moments of worship or will this be the last? Or will this be the first and the last? We, we, we have to look at this life of worship that God has called us to. And, and I want to focus on this today. I, I promise we'll tie this all in together as we t- continue in, in this look at the gospel of Luke. We're moving through Luke. We're looking at Luke, Dr. Luke, as he's doing this in-depth investigation of Jesus Christ and who Jesus Christ is. This investigation of the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, and is it all true? And Dr. Luke has given us this, and we've been going through this painstakingly slow, not apologizing for it, but we have been going through to try to see exactly what it is that God is speaking to us about through this investigative study. There's a number of things that I really enjoy about this, about going through this, is that, please, if if we're not touching on topics that are important to you right now, just give it a little time. Because Luke is going to deal with everything. Okay, I I mean, again, if you really want to know what God has to say about some of the issues and things that are going on, read through the Gospel of Luke. He deals with everything. And we're going to go through and we're going to look at all of this. If you got your Bible, open up to Luke chapter 1. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at and get to know a little bit more about Mary. We sometimes, again, coming out of, uh, uh, like so many, coming out of the Catholicism that has put Mary into a place where she's become the object of worship, we, on the other side of that, in, in the Protestant church, have kind of steered away from Mary because it's kind of become taboo. We don't want to associate like that. But listen, what we do is we move away from one of the most important people in Scripture. Mary, Mary is a woman who lives her life in relationship with God. I find that really refreshing. I find that to be really important for us. Because as a result, listen, Mary is not an object of worship, but Mary is an amazing example for us. We can learn a lot from her. And and before we get into that, I want to set the stage. I want to preface with this. There are really two approaches that we can have to life, or at least two approaches that we can have to the ways in which we live our spiritual life. One is that first approach we'll call the bottom-up approach. And that is when you start with your life, your experiences, your sins, your sufferings, your situations, and then you project all of that onto God. So a result will be then when things are going good, it's all good. When things are going good, you feel like God, like God is good. He's a good God. Look at what he's doing in my life. God is so good to me. He's close to me. He loves me. He cares about me. But man, when things are hard, when things don't make sense, when things get difficult, we turn to this place and begin to say, well, you know what? Is there really a God? If there's really a God, why would he be treating me like this? And we, what happens is we, even sometimes subconsciously we start gravitating towards agnosticism or we start gravitating towards atheism. And maybe in your life you've gotten to that place where you've started to wonder, is God just really far, far away? 
know what? Is God the kind of God that's just not really interested in me kind of God? Because I don't hear him, and I don't see him moving on my behalf. I don't see him responding to me the way I want him to respond. Or maybe you know that he's a good God, but maybe he just doesn't have the ability to change things. Maybe God's a good God, and he's good, but he just... Well, I mean, he just doesn't have the ability to change my life. Have you seen my life? Have you seen what I, my life, the mess that my life is? Maybe God can change some people's lives, but man, he hasn't had to deal with mine. Maybe my life is a little outside of his reach, and he's just not powerful enough or strong enough. And so when we have this bottom-up approach, we start with our feelings, we start with our emotions, we start with our experiences, we start with our sin, we start with our sadness, we start with our sufferings, and we take all of those things and we project them onto God. We put these things all in front of us before God. And so when we look at God, we have to look through all of these things in our life. And what happens is that, and this happens so often, what happens is that when we need God the most, we won't turn to him, we run from him. Why? Because I don't want to deal with all that stuff. I'm trying to get away from all that stuff. See that happen all the time. And what happens is people in, those, in that position, when you have a bottom-up approach, you will start to question God. You will start to question his goodness, and you will start to question his character. And the result will be that you won't worship him. And church, we all go through difficult places. I mean, don't raise your hand, but how many are in difficult places right now? In situations and circumstances that have you a little overwhelmed. You, right now, you're in this place where the only thing that you're certain of is that your future is uncertain. <laughs> we get in this place where we go, I don't know what's going to happen here. I don't know what to do, what's going to happen next. And it's just a complete blank slate. We don't know what to do. God, how's this going to work out? Listen, church, are your circumstances affecting how you view God? The second way that we can approach our spiritual life or life in general, but mainly our spiritual life, is with the top-down approach. And that is to just, we just assume, you know what? God is who he says he is. That God is who he says he is, and that the Bible is true, and when the Bible describes who God says he is, it reveals to us the truth about the character of God, the truth about the nature of God, the truth about the attributes of God. And believing that, we then begin to interpret our life in view of what God says, in view of who God says he is. And in that approach, what we do is we go to the scriptures. And church, if you truly go to the scripture and you begin to read through scripture and you'll begin to get an idea, don't just pick a story, or, but go through scripture to start to get a heart for who God is, you know what you'll find out? Every single one of us will find out you'll realize that God is good. Amen. He's a good God. And he made this world, and when God created this world in, in our daily dig, we're going through the book of Genesis, we just read through this, that in, in, in God's creation, God made the world good. God made it good. 
The world didn't become bad because God wanted it bad. The world became bad or the world became what it is because it was corrupted by sin. But he made the world good. And then sin and suffering and sadness, all the things that we experience, all the emotions we go through, it's not because of God. It's because of Satan. It's because of demons. It's because of sinners all working together, waging war against God and against the people of God. But church, that doesn't change the fact that God is good, that God is all good, that God is only good, that God is always good. And this good God has a plan. He had a plan from the very beginning, a plan that has been unfolding throughout the workings of history, a plan in which he would come into this world, into this place, and become the redeemer, to become the liberator, to become the freedom, to become the one in whom we need, the savior. And he has a plan, and he's unfolding that. But church, let me tell you, when we're going through these times of suffering, going through these times of division, going through these times of sin in our life, going through times where we're anxious and filled with fear, times where we're frustrated, listen, when we have a top-down approach, when we're looking to God and we're seeing the goodness of God and how good he is and that he's always good and that God is only good, when we're going through those things, we will run to him. We will run into his arms rather than from him. Church, what God does then is he gives us in Scripture, he gives us examples. Many of the people in Scripture, in fact, you can look at them all and and realize that God has given us in Scripture examples, examples of people that will serve you and I through the things they did or the things that they didn't do. And some, you'll see, have negative results. Some are negative examples for us. People who walked in their own will, walked in their own choices, didn't listen, didn't do what God had called them to do, and they got bad consequences that came. Was that a result of God? a result of the consequences in our choice in our life how many of us make bad choices we do things that God says don't do that and we do it and then we blame God because we get bad results God gives us people that are negative examples and he gives us wonderful examples of faith people who walked in faith who walked in trust who walked in love who walked in service who walked in honor who walked glorifying God and let me tell you Mary is one of these wonderful examples Mary is an amazing woman that we can look to for so much. And again, maybe you didn't know this, but Mary, the story talking about Mary, the story of Mary's life starts hundreds of years before she's even born. The story of Mary starts back in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. When Isaiah prophesies, the voice of God prophesying through Isaiah says that there's going to be a virgin, and this virgin is going to immaculately conceive, and she's going to give birth to a son. That virgin's name was Mary. And she's going to give birth to the son, and the son will be named Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so there's this rescue mission that God is in the midst of where God, the rescue mission where God will come into human history, where God will come into this world. The creator will come into his creation and God would become a person so that he could identify with us. God would become flesh so that he could relate with us and in that he could therefore be the mediator, the reconciler that each and every one of us need so that we can be reconnected back to the relationship 
relationship that was lost by sin in the very beginning. And he would come into this world and he would be fully man and fully God. He would be born of a, of a virgin fully man. He would be born of the seed of God, fully God. God coming in the flesh into this world so that he could mediate and reconcile people to God. And so what happened? Nothing. Hundreds and hundreds of years go by. Nothing's happened. Every, everyone's waiting. Where is this man, this God-man? Where, where is he? And who's this virgin? Why, what, why is he waiting? It's been hundreds of years. There's this huge gap of no word from God between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the gospel, the New Testament and the Old Testament. Hundreds of years where God, he didn't say anything. And then all of the sudden, the angel Gabriel shows up in the Holy of Holies where there's a man named Zechariah, a priest that's there. And the first words that have been spoken in hundreds and hundreds of years. And then the same angel comes and reveals himself to Mary. Mary. A teenage girl. She's 12, 13 years old, 14 maybe years old lives in this little tiny insignificant town of Nazareth. 50, maybe 100 people in this little town. She's probably illiterate. She hasn't been taught to read. She comes from a poor family because she's living in this poor little town. But she's engaged to be married to the man of her dreams. She's planning her wedding. And you know, it might not be a big extravagant wedding, but it's her wedding. And she's in the midst of all of these plans. And what happens? The angel Gabriel shows up. Bam! Go ahead. What, all of a sudden, in the moment, the angel Gabriel shows up. And listen to me, church. The entire script of Mary's life changes. Everything she had been dreaming of, everything she had been hoping for, everything she was planning of, everything that she had as desires of her own heart, everything that she wanted, it was gone. The entire script of her life changes. And the angel shows up and says, Mary, you have been chosen of God. Favored by God. You're going to be the promised mother of Emmanuel. God with us. Now, again, I, I think Mary knew enough of Scripture. And, and in the coming weeks, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll show you why I believe that. But all of a sudden, in the midst of this whole thing, you know, I don't, I don't know why or where the question comes from. But Mary says, in faith, well, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin. Well, I think the angel was like, duh. <laughs> no, that, that's how, if I was an angel, that's how I would have treated her, but... <laughs> 
God won't let me be an angel, so that's probably one of the reasons why. There'd be lightning bolts flying everywhere. Um, so, so the angel says, Mary, you're chosen by God. You're going to be the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You're that virgin. And you're going to give birth. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and he's going to give you ability to conceive, and you're going to receive unto you the blessed, the Messiah, and you're going to call him Jesus. It all sounds good to us. But what happens next is the angel says, and also I want you to know, Mary, that your relative Elizabeth, remember the elderly Baron Elizabeth, she's also pregnant. And Mary says, I gotta go. She packs up some of her stuff and she heads off on this 100-mile journey through the dangerous desert to go with what she has to go visit Elizabeth and Zechariah. And that's where we find ourselves here in Luke chapter 1 in verse 46. But before we go to that, I, I want to set the stage for what really is kind of going on here, looking at the reality of this. Sometimes we gloss over some things and we don't see what Scripture really is revealing in some of the, the thoughts and things that would be going on. Don't you think Mary, being a human being, had some things to be worried about? Come on, do you think Mary had things to worry about? Well, God just showed up in the, through the angel Gabriel and gave her some special news, and then he just completely, totally messed her whole life up. And how many of you have gotten to that place where you're following God and you're doing what God wants you to do, and all of a sudden God just messes up your natural life? Well, th come on, we've all been in that place. Well, thanks a lot, God. That's what I get for serving you. How many people walk away from God because things don't go the way they think, because things get hard, because God doesn't do what we tell him to do, or God doesn't act in such a way that we planned for God to act? Her life is a total mess. Everything she dreamed of was gone. Everything she had thought of was gone. And in this moment, she didn't know what was gonna happen. And for some of you, some of you are professional warriors. I mean, there are some of you that came in here and in the midst of praise and worship, you were able to let loose of some of those worries and then that dumb pastor had to go ahead and bring up worrying. And now, here you are, back in the middle of worry. You're not even listening to my sermon. You're thinking about your health. You're thinking about your finances. You're thinking about your family. You're thinking about your children. You're thinking about your marriage. You're thinking about your future. You're now thinking about your retirement. Thanks a lot, Pastor Mark. You know what you are? You are gifted. A gifted. You are a gifted spiritual warrior. Come on, you know who you are. And you know what? You come to today and, and you're here and you probably have plenty of reason for worry and plenty of reason to be concerned. Well, I want you to know that's where Mary is. She's in this place and she's got a lot in her season of life to worry about. 
And now, because think about it. Now, Mary, she's got all this stuff going on. It's all freshly new. And Mary, for some reason or another, God lays it on her heart, and Mary leaves to go travel 100 miles away. She's going through all of this stuff far from home. There's no phones. She can't call and find out how Joseph's doing. She's 100 miles away from home. She is all on her own. And she doesn't know what's going to happen. She doesn't know what's happening back in Nazareth. This little town. What's going on? Do you think that Mary had some things that she could be worried about? Like this. Is Joseph going to wait for me? Is Joseph going to still want to marry? I, I mean, I told him I'm still a virgin. He said he believed me, but I don't, I mean, will the people talk him into it? Because they didn't seem to believe me. Is he still going to want to marry me? Or what if he just wants to marry me and then we get married and, and after a while he can't handle it and then he leaves me and now I'm a divorced single mom having to raise this boy, boy on my own? Do you think she had something to worry about? What about her reputation? She, in the town, in that culture, in that day, it may sound vulgar, but in that day, people would call her a whore. People would call her a harlot. People would call her a tramp. I, I told them I love God. I told them it's a miracle. But they laughed at me. Do you think that she had something to worry about? What about the thoughts and concerns that would come upon a mother about how her son would be treated? What would they say to him? Oh, we, hey, who's your dad? Oh, that's right, you don't know who your dad is. I know who my dad is. Who's your dad? Oh, you don't know. What kind of names would they call him? Do you think she had something to worry about? What about just the fact that she's pregnant with her first child? How many of you ladies know what it's like? You know the kind of worry or concern that would come over you just carrying, that, especially that first child. And she's living in this small little town. I don't know what kind of medical care, but I doubt there was much of any. She's poor. She has nowhere to go. It's dangerous for her. A lot of women died in childbirth during that time. And the infant mortality rate in that culture was through the roof. Do you think she had something to worry about? And just what about her own protection? I told you this before, but in that culture... If that culture truly considered her to be a, a harlot, then what they could do was they could take her and take her into the city square and they could strip her of her clothes, cover her with rags, and they could beat her and call her names and spit on her and call her a whore and tie her up and leave her in the city center to be an example to all the other women. Do you think she had something to worry about? we sometimes skip over this. What about just the fact that she was to be the mother of God? I mean, first baby, junior high-aged girl, 12, 13 years old, that's a lot of pressure. Hey, Mary, I know you're a first-time mom. 
But uh, this is the way to start. Here's God. Don't kill him. The pressure would have been amazing. Mary is in this season of life. I want you to see that she's in the season of life where Mary had a lot that she could be worried about. But rather than worrying, what we do is we find Mary worshiping. We find her worshiping. In, in Luke chapter 1, it's what we find her doing. And what I want us to see is this example that she is for you and I, that Mary found a way. And if Mary could do it, so can we. Mary found a way to replace her worrying with worship. It's what she did. Now again, I, I, it's okay for you to come in here concerned. I know that there's many of you that do. Life has concerns and life has some things and plans need to be made. Our futures need to be looked at. But Jesus says, don't worry. Well, then what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Worship. Make a conscientious choice to take all of the energy that you're pouring into your worrying and make a choice to turn it into worship. To begin to worship God. Begin to try to gain that top-down attitude. That's what Mary does. And I want you to listen to, to Mary. I wanted to set the stage, and I want you to just hear. I'm just going to take a look at these three verses for right now. And I want you to look at what Mary does. In all of this, this is what Mary says. And Mary says, and this is, again, Mary's song, the Magnificat. This is what she has to say. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Listen to this. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Whoa. Wait, 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 wait. Mary, 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 hold on. Have you seen your life? Mary, have you seen your life? Because obviously I don't think you have because you didn't mention any of it. Well, Mary, wait a second. You didn't even tell us about all the hardships and difficulties and things that are going on. But listen, rather than, than worrying in all of this, rather than her worry prayer, Mary's worshiping. She's worshiping. Church, her eyes are on the Lord. And I want you to hear this. Her eyes are not on her today. Her eyes are on the generations to come. Look, are you walking in the kind of faith that the generations to come will call you blessed? I want to leave a, le a legacy of blessing, not just to my children, but to my grandchildren and my children's, ch children's children and on down. I want to leave a legacy where they can look back and say, hey, you know what, Papa Mark, he wasn't, he didn't, wasn't perfect, but he sure did love God. I want to leave a legacy of the blessedness that would go forth, that we could stop those generations and the generational curses and the generational things and begin to look down the road. Stop being so affected by all of the worries and the things that are going on in the day and begin to look down the road and begin to see how God has generations and generations to come that will call you blessed if you follow the Lord. Her eyes 
aren't on today's problems, on today's worry and today's concern. Her eyes are on the Lord. And you know what she's doing? She's worshiping. She's in the middle of worship. So that brings us then to to what is worship. What is worship to you? Well, we just got done with it. We just sang it. Do you know that worship is what you were made to do? Worship is what you were created for. And when God made you, he made you a worshiper. You can't change that. You'll never change that. You were made to worship. It's what we do. It's what we do all the time. We are worshipers. And in the very beginning, in the very beginning, as God created the creation, his design was that worship would start with him. That we would worship God, the God of the Bible. Unlike any other God in any other religion, he's one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he has eternally existed from before the beginnings of time in perfect harmony and perfect communion, one with the other. And they share in the divine attributes that they have in all of the things that they do. They are together, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you know what they do? They communicate with one another. They love one another another. They serve one another. They honor one another. They glorify one another. It's a perfect, absolutely perfect communion in this community of the Trinity. And they worship. They enjoy. They celebrate one another. Continually. Eternally. Look, if you don't like worship now, you're really not going to like heaven. (laughs) And the Bible says that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. That's what it tells us. So we are all worshipers. Whether you sing or not, you're a worshiper. Whether you're born again or not, you're a worshiper. We're all unceasing worshipers. All of us. What that means is we're always worshiping. We give ourselves to, we live in light of someone or something. We were created in the creation to be worshipers, to be worshipers of God. That was God's design. He created us to worship him. He created us to celebrate him, to trust him, to enjoy God, to love God, and to serve God. He called us to serve him and to worship him because God is good. He's good all the time. That's why this top-down approach to our spiritual life is so vitally important to us. Because on the other side of that, what's the opposite then of worship? Idolatry. And that's one of those you know, dirty church words that we just don't use. and Nobody wants to be that. But the truth is, church, wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you've been, we all keep worshiping. We worship. You were created to be a worshiper. And so we, each and every one of us, we worship. Apart from God, we worship, we worship people. We worship things. We worship ideals. We worship ourselves. We, we worship anything other than God. But I find it amazing when I was reading in Exodus, he was, was reading through the Ten Commandments, and I was, again, just hit with this, that 
Even in the Ten Commandments, God understands. I mean, he, he tells us about this. He, in the very beginning, these, in the Ten Commandments, even the first two commandments, the first one, there's one God, and the second one, you worship him alone. There's one God, worship him alone. There's one God, worship him alone. You know, if you do those first two commandments, you're not about to start breaking the other ones. There's one God, worship him alone. If you'll do that, you won't worship food and become a glutton. You won't worship sex and become a pervert. You won't worship money and become a thief. You won't worship anger or your reputation and kill somebody. Church, this changes how you live. Yet, we put rock stars and athletes and sports teams and hobbies, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, children, grandchildren, school, intellect, finances, reputation, appearance, all in this position of God. And it becomes that. We, we begin, think about it, we live for them. That's where we get our meaning. That's where we get our value. That's where we find our security. That's where we find our significance. So what do we do? We worship them. And listen, the worship, that worship is always in vain because an idol will always disappoint you. Always. Because they're not like God. An idol is not like him at all. They're not perfect. They're not selfless. They're not loving. They're not good. They're not eternal. That's why when we find ourselves in a place where idolatry has come in and we've begun to worship things other than God, idolaters always end up hopeless. Because an idol has no ability to bring hope to your life. And so what happens? Jesus, Emmanuel, comes into the world and he comes to take away our sin. He comes to reconcile us to God. He comes and fills us with the Holy Spirit. Why? So we can be restored, so that we can be redeemed, that we might begin to worship God, that we might begin to worship in the way in which we are created by the Spirit, through the Son, and to the Father. It's this triune worship that God has for us in the life that God wants to connect with us, the life that God wants to pour into us, the life that God wants to come and, and be connected to us with. God, the life of God that he wants to bring and impart to you and to me. Why? So that we can worship him. So that we can do what we were created to do. And that means with all of life. Worship is all of our life. That means that we worship God with everything. We don't just worship God with a song and then leave. We worship God. We worship God with our time. We worship God with our money. We worship God with our, our, our talents. We worship God with our treasures. All the things that Scripture calls us to worship God with. And what we end up doing is we live for God's glory and the good of others. Can you see how this is the answer to the ills that we have in our society. Even if it starts with us, 
just with us. Beginning to live for God's glory and other people's good. Listen, church, that will bring you joy. When you start to live for God's glory, not your glory, when you start to live for the good of others, not your good, you're going to find God imparting unto you his joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's his joy, and he imparts it as we do his will. And that's God's intent. That was God's intent from the very beginning, that you and that I, that we would be joy-filled worshipers, power-filled worshipers, dynamic-filled worshipers. You know why God wants us to be joy-filled worshipers? Because it's his joy. He's a joy-filled worshiper. You and I are created in his image. And we see Mary in this. Listen, you know, I, I just look at Mary and I think, that girl is a happy worshiper. I can just see her in our service. We'd all be staring at her. How's that girl got the joy? Uh, you, know, you know what? We would look and go, oh boy, her life must all be right in order because look at her go. Oh man, God must be doing good things in her life because look at her worship. We wouldn't know the backstory. Listen, Mary's got all this stuff going on. Mary's got as much to be worried about as any of us. But rather than worrying, she's worshiping. I just see Mary, this happy worshiper. And, and as we look at this, we're going to hear the language of worship is what she's talking about. Worship is all of life, church. It is all of life, but it includes singing. For all of it, it includes singing. She says this, Mary, in the song, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul, my, my, my inner, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, all that my, makes up my soul, it, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul wants to make God bright. My soul wants to make God the highlight. My soul wants to magnify the Lord. She's saying deep down inside, in my heart, in the new heart that God has given me as a daughter, I want with all that I am, everything that I am, to magnify the Lord. We're the image bearers of God. He's called us, which means we are to reflect. We're to reflect him. We're to reflect the truth. We're to reflect the love. We're to reflect the compassion, the justice, the selflessness, the humility of God. We're called to reflect that. And church, listen, this is important. God is not every way. God is a certain way. And he tells us in his word who he is. He's a certain way. And God is calling you and I to reflect that certain way into the world in which we live, in the earth in which we've been placed. God wants us to be a reflection of him. And Mary's saying, in my soul, down deep inside, even though my life is uncertain, even though I don't know what's going to happen, even though I don't know if I'll end up married, I don't know if I, uh, what's going to happen in the future, I don't know what's going to go on in my family, I don't know if they'll accept me, I'm poor, I don't know where I'll turn, I'm pregnant, I don't know if I'll remain healthy, but you know what, all that aside, I honor God. I honor him with my life and I want to glorify him with everything that is within me. And I want others to look at 
at my life and I want them to see God. I want them to see his reflection. I don't want them to see all the worry. I don't want them to see all the things that are going on in my life. I want to see that God is going on in my life. I want them to see that God is good. And I don't care what it is that I feel. I want them to know that God is very, very, very good to me. And that's this heart of worship. That's the deepest desire of a true Christian. As God, the Holy Spirit, intersects that spirit in us. This is the place where the Holy Spirit resides in the very deepest place of our new nature. And when we truly are born again, that's what we want to do. We want to worship and glorify him. Listen, you've got problems, you've got issues, just like I've got problems and just like I've got issues. And you know, I don't always do this right, but God's been convicting me in this. Even though I've got worries and concerns and problems and issues, I want to worship through them all. That's what he's calling us to. Mary says this, and worship team, come on back up, would you? Mary says My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What? My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The Savior's still in her womb. He's just a, he's jelly bean sized at this point. Mary is worshiping, and she's worshiping in her soul. She's worshiping in her spirit. She's worshiping from a place that was down deeper inside of her than even that little baby boy in her belly. She was worshiping from a place that was deeper than any of the the, the concerns and worries that she had. She was worshiping from a place that was deeper than all of the fear that she had. She was worshiping from a place that was deeper than all the anxiety that wanted to rise up in her. Her spirit was having this intersection with the Holy Spirit. And from that, she was wanting to do nothing more than honor Jesus, to honor him in her heart, worshiping. She was worshiping the baby that wasn't even born in her womb. You know what it does tell us? Even Mary needed a savior. And she knew from a place down deeper than what was in her belly that that baby in her stomach was to be worshiped, to be honored, to be glorified. She was worshiping this baby in her womb. Why? So that God the Father could be praised. See, I think Mary had it right. Let me ask you this. Are you worshiping God with a bottom-up approach? Or are you worshiping with a top-down approach? In other words, are you allowing your circumstances to reflect onto God? Or are you allowing your God to reflect onto your circumstances? Because church, the answer to those questions will be revealed in your worship. Because, listen, 
it does make a difference. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord God, in the name of Jesus, I pray today that you would move on the hearts of men and women in this place. I pray for those, Lord, who, who have not experienced you in a born-again moment, that they haven't experienced you, Lord, making their soul renewed and their spirit alive, that today they would call upon you, that, God, they would receive you into their heart, that you would become the Lord and the Savior of their life, and that you would seal that new work by the giving of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of your life into them, that today, Lord, would be a transformation day, that as they call upon you, Lord, they would find salvation, that you would create in them, Lord God. Each and every one of us, we are worshipers, Lord, but I pray that today you create worshipers of God, those who would glorify you, those who would know the joy, Lord, of being filled with you, knowing that eternal life has been given, eternal life has been received. And God, for those prodigals that have wandered away, I pray, Lord, that they would come back that they would come back into your presence, that they would draw near unto you, Lord, that the worries and the concerns of this world would not begin to weed out or to choke out all of the presence of God in our lives, but that, God, we would come back to you, that we would draw back to you today, that we would draw back to the heart that you have for each one of us, a heart, Lord, that says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in him the Lord God, my Savior. Well, where are you today? Where are you in this walk with God? Call out. Call out. Make a decision today that I'm going to come back, Lord. I want to come back to the heart of worship because that is what I am created to do. I'm coming back to Heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Come on, worshipers, lift up your voice. Deeper within, through the way things are 
declare it. Let's go. Sing it out. Every week when I release you, I tell you, church is not over. Church is about to begin. And so, go be the church. But today, let me say this. Worship is not about to end. Worship is about to begin. So go be the worshiper that God created you to be. Go be what God intended from the very beginnings of creation when he had you in mind, what he made you to do, how he created you to worship. Listen, go be the church. Go be the worshiper that God created you to be. Amen? Come on, let's sing this out as we go. As the doors open up, listen, let's just let the neighborhood know we're coming back to a heart of worship. God bless you. I love you. Find a, find a life group. Don't forget, get yourself plugged in. Have a beautiful day. Come on, let's sing it out.